For me, I think a voice and a song in particular carries with it a human experience at its simplest and often its rawest. Music has always been a vehicle for the spirit of people, the spirit of the times and the stories of people. And where we believe those stories, that's empathy in action. And that's where action can begin. And this is Cry Power, my podcast about people who are using what's available to them to change the world. Presented with our friends at Global Citizen, on each episode I'll be sitting down with people who are putting themselves out there to support a cause that's dear to them. I'll be talking to people whose work is making a real difference, musicians, artists, or just some of my heroes. So here we are in the music room of the home of the next guest, I suppose one of the most most important musicians, uh, artists of our time, certainly in Ireland's history. Uh, Big in China as well, I just want to say. I <laughs> <laughs> um, wish that was true. Go on. Thank yeah. you, you've been too kind. Um, a, a hero of mine, a hero of, of so many, not only musically, culturally, uh, with regards ethos and how we, how we utilise that, how we engage with that, but the intro could go on for for ages and ages, but it's an absolute honour and an absolute pleasure to be joined by by yourself, Bono. Thank you so so much for sitting down and talking to me. But no, thank you for for visiting with me in 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 our house in our home. Grown grown up in Dublin, I've lived all over the world, but this is where this is where my family is, and this is where you are, and this is where our this is where our songs come from. And there's, there's some. You know, a source. It's round here. Yeah. First, first time I met you, it was just before the Carnegie Hall show for Red and One. So I was waiting in a car outside. I, this was on the Songs of Innocence and Experience tour, I believe, in the Three Arena uh, in in Dublin. So I was waiting in a car, and I think Edge came out first. And you just came off the stage, straight off the stage, from about you know whatever that was, fifteen, seventeen thousand people or, or so. The car door opened and you hopped in directly from from stage, having walked straight off stage, completely un, unflappable into the into the back lot, into the car. Took a moment, and then was saying, "Okay, so we're doing Carnegie Hall next week. What's the story? Uh, are you bringing your band or what?" And it was just like this. <laughs> well, I, I, I sometimes I'm I I I I can make sense. <laughs> Um, off stage, no, no. So, um, when I come off a stage, but I have to tell you, that's a roll of a dice. You just were on a, it, was a good <laughs> night, a good yeah. You could have gotten it, you could have been in the car and had a babbling frog, and <laughs> uh, uh, tried to talk you into Carnegie Hall. I'm, I'm glad I made a bit of sense. No. That event was great. That was great. Um, yeah, no, the first time I um came across your work was just hearing uh, Taking the Church on the radio, and I just wanted to know who is this. I felt nauseous. I felt excited. I felt all the feelings I feel when I hear a truly, truly great song that I didn't write. And, uh, and I was like, I went, "Fuck, dear me, this is." It was like a pullover situation. I've had a few of them in my life, but not many. I was like, and I, ca- I can't, I can't be operating heavy machinery at this moment. And then I found out it was this Irish geezer. Then I found it was this Irish geezer who lived two miles up the road. 
And then I just, uh, uh, I get out of the car and I lay in the middle of the road and hoped somebody would kill me. <laughs> Stop. Oh my God. There's no, there's no And then you place. arrived, then picked me up, <laughs> put me in the car and said, are you okay there? We're going to get along just fine, dude. <laughs> Uh, the first time, the first time I I met you was in the discussions of of that event for Red and won the I believe the anniversary uh, event that was taking place. There was there was presentations about the projections of the future for for AIDS in Africa and the the progress that had been made and the progress that that was looking likely in the next twenty five fifty years. Staggering, absolutely staggering. And it was um, I was kind of grounded in a way. It, everything in, in that event was quite quite surreal to me. There was you know there was. Uh, Bill Clinton was 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 bopping around first time meeting Miley Cyrus and like a lot of um, Bill Gates I believe fantastic very very amazing people the whole thing was quite quite surreal for a moment but some of those some of those things just brought me brought me to earth in a very very uh, interesting way it was just just realizing just how achievable the uh, the seemingly unachievable uh, was you know mm-hmm. a communal effort a yeah. communal effort yeah yeah um, across pe- across disciplines commerce government I, I thank you for turning up at those events it's really hard I I don't know if I, why I have any friends left because now especially when I see my famous friends they just duck in case I want to ask them to do something <laughs> and you always sort of turn up and. You 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 you've uh, you're angered by injustice and and you wade through these these can be smarmy affairs they can be schmaltzy affairs but at Red we try to distill things and we there was things we we wanted to communicate that night and you know there are other fights you could pick but it just seemed to me that just these two pills that we we're fighting for the right for people to access just symbolized inequality and they, they just, they physicalized it. You, you didn't get the pills, you die. You do get the pills, you live. And where you live should not decide whether you live. That's the basic premise of red. And can we meet people where they are as consumers and piggyback their spending habits um, in order to afford people a dignified way of dealing with their disease? First of all, there's not many people in the world who, who would be as, as as busy as yourself, and so it's it's an absolute pleasure and an honour to to be you know to be sitting down with you. And thank you for allowing us to to sit down and have have a have a little chat. You know, I feel exactly the same. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> and I'm curious as to what questions you've got in your little yeah, book there. Yeah, like it's really just there's very few people again I could talk to on on the planet who have have used music as a vehicle in the way that you have used music uh, have used the opportunities that that has given you to i suppose uh, achieve goals which are in some ways very very hard to quantify or to make sense of in, in in just what can be achieved with with regards the betterment of let's say one individual's life or you know which again is is a very is diff- equally important thing very very yeah and a very difficult thing to to describe and but we're talking about millions of lives so yeah i mean look the the Making sense, I think, is the phrase you just used. Trying to make sense of the nonsense of being famous. And why is it nonsense? Because it's, it's, it is it's is great to get you a seat in a restaurant and not thrown out of pubs after hours. But uh, what's nonsense about it is that what fame does is it upends the real order of things. 
in in the real view of in the world, you know, in God's view of the world, in the view of social justice, uh, a mother or a fireman or you know a school teacher, they're incredible people who are not given really the kind of recognition that people who can remember their lines, actors, singers, musicians, people who do what we do anyway. You know, we, we do what we love. Mm -hmm. It's a strange thing to have us in, so regarded. And I think we need to know the nonsense of that. So celebrity is nonsense, but it's currency. Yeah. And, and I suppose I and you two wanted to spend our currency well. Mm -hmm. And we just, we, we had to make sense of it. And we, we had a kind of prayer, if you like, uh, as a band which was to be useful. Mm -hmm. Simple prayer. We have it at our family as well. I, I really, but it's a great, even if you don't believe in prayer, I think just it's, it's a good thing to utter, isn't it? <laughs> Can we be useful? Can this conversation be useful? Yeah. Can this podcast be useful? Can the people who listen to it become even more useful than they are? Mm -hmm. and, and we even more useful than we are. Mm -hmm. That'd be a nice goal for this podcast yeah no absolutely yeah. a podcast about goals yeah indeed yeah and it is i suppose increasingly a, a difficult question for for a lot of people we, we we live very noisy lives and very very cluttered lives and very you know uh, increasingly so that looking for purpose that looking for usefulness uh, in a world of crazy surplus as well too and um, material surplus but a lot of spiritual vacuums mm -hmm, yeah and particularly in the church <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah, uh, we live at a time when a lot of people's spiritual lives is the music they're listening to. You know, your album, your recent album, the one before that. These sustain me. They sustain others in our whatever that need is. And the thing that that that's that's that separates us. Hopefully, as a species, is that 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 spiritual ache that thing that once that you know turns into empathy if you're a, if if you're making music or if you're writing a play or a screenplay you know you're trying to understand empathy is about understanding another person's person mm -hmm. and so i think artists are generally a bit porous to other people's experience so that's probably where the protest song begins mm -hmm. is you feel so shit about somebody else's circumstance <laughs> that, and you just do not like feeling shit yeah. and you just, and you, and you don't have any other, you know, utensils other than your guitar or a piano or your pen. You don't have any other weapon than, than your voice mm -hmm. to fight against whatever it was. You know, I grew up in Cedarwood Road and in the box room in Cedar Road, we had a lodger um, um, under the bed, John Winston Lennon. And, and so, you know, I'm 12 mm -hmm. and I'm looking out the window of Cedar Road and there's somebody whispering in my ear. And it's John Lennon. And, <laughs> and what's he whispering? Well, I, 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 if I had to break it down, it would be something along the lines of, you know, I can't do a Liverpool accent, but mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the world is more malleable than you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the world will take. You know, if you kick it or caress it, 
you don't have to accept it being the, the way it is. That's what I picked up from John Lennon. Right. Um, and later, Bob Dylan, mm -hmm. you know, and then he turned me on to Woody Guthrie. And then I went, yeah. oh, my God, this guitar kills fascists. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my teenage years, Ooh, what does that mean? Yeah. This land is your land. This land is my land. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going, oh, this music can be stirring stuff mm -hmm. for change. Yeah, totally. Crowd Power podcast will explore the UN's 17 Global Goals, a series of objectives that aims to end extreme poverty, reduce inequality, and tackle climate change by 2030. To take action on any of these issues we talk about on the show, go to globalcitizen.org slash crypower and get involved. Punk was, was a, you know, a huge, huge part of your, of your early years and early sound as well too. And, and was coming into punk music obviously it's it's there's so much there's so much kind of rage uh, there's so much rage i want to ask you about that as well too because i i have heard that is something that you've said before is, is something that's always that's always lived with you as well too there always always been a rage rage can be very very directive and very instructive and and it can be an energy used often found in, in punk music was it always early that you that you saw music as a vehicle for let's say even it could be as simple as telling the truth or offering, a, you know, reflecting upon the things that we have to be angry about or the things that we can mm. we can hope for. It was quite early. Uh, I mean, we were 17 when we went to see The uh, uh, the Clash in Trinity College. And, you know, the troubles up north were brewing. I mean, not just brewing, they were boiling over. I remember feeling violence in the air. Mm -hmm. But it was, this is art. These people were making art. Mm -hmm. And yet it felt that threatening. And I went, ooh, something here I need to investigate. Mm -hmm. What are the ideas at the heart of this? And what did Joe Strummer mean when he was going, white riot? I want to riot, white riot, a riot <laughs> of my own. I know he's not a white racist. I know he's not a white supremacist. So, you know, to, to, to discover through artists their, their worldview, you know, Later, for instance, uh, with Joe Strummer and the Clash, I, I the at the Sandinista album. I didn't know the Sand I didn't know the Sandinistas were, mm -hmm. but I was the kind of curious person. You know, I then I followed. I actually ended up in um, Central America. Right. I ended up in Nicaragua. Right. Talking with you know Ernesto Cardinal, if I can remember his name right. The he was a minister, foreign minister, I think. And he's talking to me about Irish rebel poetry. And I'm saying, that's a lot of bollocks. <laughs> I'm saying, I don't like people romanticizing yeah, bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, here's why we revolted. There were 17 families running Nicaragua at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I got, I'm, and I'm still on it. I just want to understand how the world works. And, you know, the, the, the revolution in Nicaragua brought a lot of uh, education, brought a lot of uh, positives and then some terrible negatives. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wow, I need to understand politics more. Mm -hmm. and, and then you realize that you know, sometimes change comes about really incrementally, mm -hmm. in a very boring way, and that it's not about revolution. Some, some, sometimes it is. And it's not about these incendiary characters. Actually, it's it's about social movements. It's about mm 
people changing. Um, the Nicaraguan people, majority of them wanted to take charge of their destiny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so they should be able to. And democracy is an amazing thing. And we live at a time when democracy is probably under its, the biggest threat uh, it's been under since I was born. Western democracy. Yeah. With the Sandinistas, did it give you an insight into how much of the world, what was going on in, in all of its richness and all of its, its troubles? And was that something that, that you know, influenced your, your outlook? I was reading about liberation theology. I was, see, see I was, it's in a strange thing, you know, because here's, I'm a person with this deep faith in God and deep suspicion of religion. <laughs> and it's a, it's a it's sort of curious <laughs> it's a good place to be. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's where I am mm-hmm. and, and, and where our family is. And I read about the, the, these people, these poor farmers in, in El Salvador and uh, Central America who were interpreting the scriptures mm-hmm. to them, to their own needs. There's 2,007 verses mm-hmm. of scripture that pertain to poverty in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus only speaks of judgment once, and it's how we speak the how we treat uh, the poor. How we treat the poor. Yeah. Not interested in your sexuality. Not interested in your in all the the obvious um, things that the church seems to be obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, these are, these are very interesting people. I went. You'd have loved it. It's like they'd have murals at their church meetings of the children of Israel fleeing Egypt. Except um, Egypt would be America, and the Pharaoh was Ronald Reagan, right. and and they're running across the sea is dividing, and all these Spanish farmers are running away from it. Yeah. Now, I later could see the, you know, I could, I could, as well as the romance, I could see the frailty of of that vision, and mm-hmm. but I I witnessed stuff in Central America that was really disgusting and awful, and the bullying of people. Mm-hmm by, indeed, by America, by people I would later work with. And I, uh, I, I came home, I spoke to the band about it. We were recording the Joshua Tree and I described this firebombing of a hillside uh, uh, outside of Salvador in the countryside there to Edge and asked him, you know, could he do a Jimi Hendrix on it and try to use his guitar to paint a picture? Yeah. Big task. <laughs> Big ass. He went at it, you know, and it's it's strange. It's a baseline. It's the no. It's I don't. Know, it's it's the strangest baseline ever. Mm-hmm. It might be in about ten keys at the same time. It it can roll along for seven minutes, mm-hmm. and you don't seem to get bored. Or maybe that's just us. <laughs> but but you can. It, the song has this power live, mm-hmm. and Edge just uses it as a as a sort of jumping off point. To for his storytelling, I've mm-hmm. got the ver- verbal and the words and the lyrics. He's he's telling the story a different way, but the rage is in his guitar actually, mm-hmm. and and I suppose around about that time, uh, it dawned on me, and it's dawned on me a few times, that yes, I'm moved by compassion, and yes, I'm moved by empathy and wanting to understand my fellow man better. But in the end, much more than charity, I'm motivated by justice. Mm -hmm. And I learned that as a kid from my dad, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think Irish people have 
a kind of short a short patience for for bullies yeah i think i think so yeah i do believe in in all of my the ups and downs of of the relationship you're going to have with your home country and and it's and it's and it's people i i've always seen i've always felt believed that irish people have a a very kind of a natural a sense of natural justice and a, and a, a kind of a they have a relationship with with a sense of justice which they they have a very They've 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 a shortcut too, you know what I mean? As they say, it's a it's a short uh, a short view. Yeah, well. wherever I go in Africa, and I still go in Africa, I'll still get the odd nun or priest jumping out from behind a bush, an Irish priest. <laughs> right. And you know, for all my problems with the church, when I see they they're tending to the poor, mm-hmm. I kind of shut my mouth, mm-hmm. and I, I'm amazed. I dedicated a song on the Atomic Bomb album. To Sister Anne, actually, it's um, it's called Crumbs from Your Table, and this woman, Sister Anne, and she had an office over a sewer, and she was fighting with such great passion for people in her community who couldn't get access to antiretroviral drugs, and were were therefore not even turning up to be diagnosed. Uh, as having HIV. What's the point in being diagnosed, knowing your status, Mm -hmm. if you can't then be treated for it? And and she inspired me to work with the One Campaign, to work across political divides, to work with people that I wouldn't have in my 20s have worked with, Mm -hmm. um, to work with conservatives, to work with with all kinds of, of... of people and to try and, and if you care about something, that's the sort of heart of the one campaign and mm-hmm. why we founded it was the idea is that you don't have to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. If the one thing you agree on is enough to put it, you together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, in, it's interesting. You say that nowadays, you know, a lot of people would, would, would think with kind of discourse where it is and, and oftentimes rhetoric where it is and, and finger pointing, etc. Uh, how it is there there often seems to be a, a a divide between values and that that you know it's it's quite a polarized time how do you begin to cultivate a relationship with or engage a relationship with a world leader or you know someone who's how do you, how do you end up with george bush at your rehearsal yeah. <laughs> when edge is in the band not good yeah. uh, <laughs> or larry or adam for that matter but the difficult it, thing being these are people who really hold the hold the power yeah. as to as you know with regards world debt or you know debt, debt in africa again i'm i'm being facetious uh, president bush as as far as i understand never turned up at a uh, u2 show let alone a u2 rehearsal okay but i did work long and hard with him on stuff that shocked and surprised the band. Mm -hmm. And as far as they were, uh, and I was as offended by the Iraqi war, and how could I sit there with my hand in my mouth uh, and a big Irish lippy mouth and and, and work with the, the, the President of the United States on what would turn into the the largest health intervention in the history of of, of fighting a disease, yeah. PEPFAR and the Global Fund, mm-hmm. fighting, and he deserves credit for that. Um, as did President Obama, who followed him, followed his lead, and continued that, mm-hmm. and it's continuing to this day. I felt that I had to put my vanity as a performer 
um, and as a as an artist, as a person, I think we have an ego, we have a scene, we have a crowd. There's people we want to impress, and I had to put that away. Mm-hmm. And I just I felt I owed it to Sister Anne. Mm-hmm. More importantly, I'm just picking Sister Anne. You know, I mean, to all the health workers, all the people who were witnessing this Holocaust, and I use the word carefully and precisely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe but, Nelson Mandela also used used that term. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I felt the people that I was witnessing, you know, in places in Africa, one third of <clears throat> people were going to die. So imagine a football field, one third of the people are going to die. Um, Southeast Africa, uh, 50% of all truck drivers. Didn't matter your social status, whatever, teachers, workers, doctors. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just destroying populations. And the look in people's eyes when you had to try and explain to people how you could just access these pills. Mm -hmm. They're available in Dublin or New York or Los Angeles or London, but they're not available where you are. There's no excuse. There were no words that I could use that would not want me just to shrivel up and die. And I'm saying, you know, sorry about this, an an accident of latitude and longitude. Um, You know, simply where you were born decides whether you live or die. That's sort of a bit where we are here. Uh, And I couldn't live with myself with that. And so I worked with people I didn't, I wouldn't normally work with. And I think... If you care about climate change, if you care about the sustainable development goals, mm-hmm. if you really care about the outcome mm-hmm. and not just winning an argument, you will have to, people listening to this podcast, you will have to work with people you don't want to work with and maybe you don't even want to be in the room with. You have to work with them. Mm-hmm. You'll have to walk with them, march with them. The sustainable development goals, just to, to go right there, it's, it's 2.6 trillion annual cost. There is no chance that this can happen without a whole reimagining reboot of capitalism for a start, uh, a reboot of the arse of capitalism. Um, and that's not going to happen without a change in consumer behavior, um, conscious consumerism, call it what you like. But there's, people, need to, people can close down giant corporations now. Mm-hmm. With social media, mm-hmm. it's, so, it's kind of exciting, but mm-hmm. it's dangerous, but it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But I think picking fights with the right people is going to be good. And then making alliances with the wrong people. It's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, sadly. It, you know, but it makes a hell, a hell of a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And just for context for people listening, PEPFAR. Well, that was Bush's piece of it. it was Pepfar exactly? Yes, yeah, Pepfar. Just for context, just to see what that achieved, and as you say, getting in, into the room with somebody who you normally would not uh, get in the room with. Um, but I have it here somewhere. Twenty-two million people are on antiretroviral therapies who would not have been. America has led the way on it. The UK did good, but America led the way. They are they're by far the largest part of that success, and Obama and Bush can take credit for this. Um, but it was a mad panoply of characters. I mean, you had priests mm-hmm. and punk rockers. You had evangelical Christians and, you know, avant-garde artists mm-hmm. all working together. And it's 
that's the thing is, you know, politics and pop. Politics is pop. That's what it is. It's when, when the politics will change when the people want it to, because they need your vote. And, and we, we live in a largely capitalist system. They need your, they, you vote every time you spend. Mm-hmm. You're Very voting true. for a product. You're voting for a company. Mm-hmm. There's power in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Use it. And yeah, I mean, many people came together to work on that. But I sometimes when I'm really feeling deflated or down, I think back to those queues in Malawi in particular, people queuing up to die, really. And now I go, wow, they all have access now. Mm-hmm. They have access. We've, we've, we've a way to go to, we've got to keep the pressure up. But it's an amazing scenario. 22 million people on these life-saving drugs. Mm-hmm. And people laughed. They thought it was stupid, thought it was dumb. How, you know, they couldn't even get drug adherence in San Francisco to the levels that they turned out they got in with the rural poor in Africa. But there, there was a man who was the head of, uh, the, of USAID. His name was Andrew Nassius. And I'm sorry to break this over the coals, Andrew, if you're listening to this again. But the comment was, this is ridiculous. You want to get these expensive drugs to Africans. And, and his quote was, don't they realize these people, meaning us who care about this, um, who join one campaign or global citizen or Oxfam or whatever, don't they realize that Africans don't have wristwatches? That was the quote. As if these people couldn't follow taking three pills a day down to two and down to one now, if their lives depended on it. And that's, that, was a, that was a moment for me. Yeah. And, and, I, and it's a moment now of great inspiration because I think you look at the global goals, you look at, at uh, some of these Everests we have to climb, mm-hmm. and you think that's impossible. We can't do that. Well, we can, mm-hmm. really, really can. And it's not that I can or you can. It's but the people listening can if they work together, if they march together, if they make unusual relationships. And keep. I'm going to keep coming back. Yeah, to that. absolutely. And how gaining a relationship, and, and you know, this is me just personally now. I'm very, very curious because you, you're famously very good with with people famously a very charming individual somebody who brings out manages to bring out the best in people clearly as evident from what you have inspired people to to come to the table on or what is your outlook on that or how do you, how do you approach how do you approach that uh i mean charm is something to be a little suspicious of i definitely um i definitely try it on um, I, 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 I don't think I'll use everything I've got. Right. And if I, I come from a line of traveling salespeople on my mother's <laughs> side. I mean, I'm, re- I'm not messing. Okay. And I can sell things if I believe in them. Mm-hmm. And I sell songs, and that's that's called singing. <laughs> and I sell ideas. That's called campaigning. And what does that really mean? I suppose it means storytelling. And I'm sitting, and you've been very kind to me here and very generous to me here, but I'm sitting with you 
one of the great storytellers of the age. You're a great singer, great songwriter and all that, but you're a great storyteller. And your lyrics of, of taking uh, uh, music to uh, the next level um, in storytelling. I'm telling you this, so just listen to me here for a second. <laughs> As if you haven't had to listen to me for the last no, hour. No. But storytelling is where it's at. Controlling the narrative. You know, we can't let big corporations control the narrative. Can't let governments control the narrative. Got to try as artists, if we're representing people who are living with the decisions taken by, if they're poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Some big corporations made some brilliant decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful uh, for, you know, for commerce. Don't want to come off. I'm actually... I'm I'm very excited about where commerce mm-hmm. could go. Mm-hmm. But the story we're telling is really important. The sustainable development goals, but what's difficult about them is there's so many of them. And so people, it's, it feels diffuse. But actually, it's not. It's like an annual report from the planet telling us how we're doing mm-hmm. across a whole, lot, whole spectrum. Yeah. And... Okay. Oh, is that what they are? All right. What one connects with me? What two connect with me? What three or what four? Find that. Mm-hmm. Find your way into the goals. If, 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 if gender equality is a thing that you want to get out of bed and fight for every day as, uh, as a man or a woman, mm-hmm. gender equality. We need men fighting for that as well as just women. If the abuse of the environment is offending you. And I don't know anyone who it isn't at the moment. And what's striking about the global goals is actually they've put poverty on the, uh, in, in the n- Southern Hemisphere and poverty in the Northern Hemisphere in the same bracket as the intellectual poverty of not fighting climate change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so storytelling. We have to be honest with people about how difficult these Everests are. I think be really honest. Say, this is really, really going to hurt, mm-hmm. this climb. Mm-hmm. This is going to cost us. But here's how we're going to do it, and then do it. And, and the only thing I can offer um, is just, again, I go back to the moment when people laughed in our face at the idea of getting expensive AIDS drugs to the rural poor and in corners of Africa, it was possible because we worked with people that no one thought would ever work together. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's going to take with with climate change. And that's a much bigger, climate change is a much bigger challenge. So we must be careful at this point in our planet's history of demonizing the other. I'm I'm up for slagging people off. Like I kind of grew up slagging people off mm-hmm. and taking sides. But I think I think this is too big. I think you've got to find common ground to reach for higher ground. Mm-hmm. No. No, absolutely. Um with some of the some of the goals, okay, so let's say let's see your experience of how voicing voicing that goal as as to what what uh, medications you could could be offered say people in in rural sub-Saharan Africa. That being, that being viewed at the time with ridiculous. kind of derision as something that was ridiculous, mm-hmm. something that was met with laughter, etc. Mm-hmm. But is that ever something that has ever discouraged you or is it something that, that has driven you on more? 
or the, that kind of, that standing up for the incredulity. something. Incredulity. Yeah. That we look ridiculous. Yeah. I am a ridiculous figure. <laughs> no. I'm actually fine with it. And I, I quite like um, my rock and roll starts to be a bit ridiculous. I mean, we were talking about John Lennon earlier, you know, hiding under my bed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, there he was doing his bag in, you know, his peace ins. You know, everyone was interested yeah. in his marriage with Yoko. He said, okay, I'll use it. But people were so offended by this, you know, war is a, in Vietnam is a serious business and this man's, uh, you know, making a dick out of himself. And in fact, he's showing his dick. Two virgins. <laughs> they're, they're two, these two beautiful souls standing together naked. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. And we shouldn't forget humor, you know. That's the other thing why John Winston Lennon is important to have under your bed. Mm-hmm. He's funny fucker. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and we don't sort of trust people who are not mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a certain sense. You know, fascists, they love the language of violence. Hitler came to power. First thing he threw out were the surrealists, the dadists, mm-hmm. people who were laughing, mocking mm-hmm. the Third Reich. A load, load of skinheads turning up to fight another load of skinheads isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. But the comedians have a real role to play here mm-hmm. as well in, in the storytelling, in the winning the narrative. It is ridiculous that there are people who deny climate change mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And they say, well, no, we're not sure about the science. But like 95, 99% of scientists know climate change. There's some dispute about the let, you know, how fast it's coming yeah. about or cause but everyone knows it's a real problem and carbon emissions are at the heart of it and and you think well no we're not running with the science mm-hmm. but you're running with the science of say the internet because you're now tweeting me mm-hmm. so you're fine with the internet part of the science yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and you and you seem to like nuclear uh, the splitting of the atom that yeah, you're yeah. fine with that yeah, yeah, yeah. and blowing up Iran okay yeah. mm-hmm. but you are not running with this these these scientific facts about what we're doing to the ecology of our, our planet. Yeah. And so I think you've got to laugh at this. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, you've got to be, you've got to laugh, you've got to use humor, political satire, and then be very serious about getting organized. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself inspired or angry This podcast isn't just about talking. It's about making change happen. And you can do that right now. You can head to globalcitizen.org slash crypower to take action on these issues. This is Hosier, and you're listening to my Crypower podcast. I heard you mention, again, this is just curious, I heard you mention your time you spent spent about a month and a half once in, in Ethiopia, I think some time after Live Aid possibly. Mm. But that was, a, that was something that, that kind of shaped your outlook or shaped, shaped the next yeah. few years. Ali and myself spend six weeks in Ethiopia on these, on this exploration. You know, it was Live Aid. All these musicians had gotten together and really it was an extraordinary moment in time. It was the first globalized um, TV thing too. So you felt the size of the, of the earth and you, you felt how small it was. Um, and I remember thinking, I need to understand this better how people, millions of people can be that frail and, and the nature of famine. And Patti Smith had this album called Radio Ethiopia. And it had woken up a part of me. And that Irishness that was in me as well, because we had a famine 
in our country in, in the middle uh, of of the 19th century. Um, so I wanted to understand it better. And so we went out there and worked in a, in a, in a, in a feeding station and an orphanage myself. And I didn't bring any, any cameras or any media or anything. Just, it was just to, to learn. And on our way home from, from Ethiopia, having met these magnificent people, magnificent country, by the way, I remember saying to Ali, it's not just that people aren't sharing the provisions. It's not just that. This, this came out of a war. This came out of, of stuff we need to understand. And years later, a guy called Jamie Drummond came to see me and he said, you know, you raised whatever it was, 250 million with Live Aid. You know that, uh, you know, Africa spends that every month servicing old debts to rich countries. Going back to the Cold War era when you were, you were, the West was lending money to anybody who wasn't a communist. Mm-hmm. And now their grandchildren have to pay the debts. And that pointed me in a different direction. And I started to understand the structural aspects of poverty and that the injustice of systems, economic systems, that kept people down. Mm -hmm. Because I knew the Africans to be very industrious, entrepreneurial people. Clearly, Africa is one of the richest places on earth. I mean, it's this vast continent with vast wealth underneath the ground, its, yeah. underneath the ground. And then these in, ingenious people standing over it, but it's not working. Why? Why is it not working? And yes, part conflict like in Ethiopia, but part um, a kind of opaque system, um, economic system, where people didn't know their rights and didn't know what they owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, kleptocracies, people running off with their wealth, capital flight. I think we have an antidote to that these days, that actually information technology um, aids the vaccine for poverty. There is a vaccine uh, and it's called transparency. Mm -hmm. So now you have civil society all over Africa, you know, who are demanding to follow the money. Mm-hmm. They want transparency in their, in their institutions, in their government. They want to know how much did you pay for that mining contract? Mm-hmm. I can tell you as an activist, the thing that I regret the most in 20 years of nearly full-time activists, but 40 years of, of being involved. And it was... After a long campaign convincing the United States Congress to make it illegal to be a mining company registered on the New York Stock Exchange, to not publish what you paid for mining contracts in the development world. Sounds esoteric. Not at all. Because if you can tell people how much you paid for these Mm -hmm. rights. Mm -hmm. For the land rights, yeah. Then the people can ask their government, where did you spend that? Where did that money go, yeah. And the difference between what is was described as being paid and what was actually being paid is where corruption lived. Right. And we, 
and others marched alongside us, convinced the United States Congress, convinced the European Parliament, the French, the British, the Germans, all went there and are still there. But at the last minute, the SEC went with us on this, but at the last minute, we were injuncted and the SEC was injuncted in the United States by the API, the American Petroleum Institute, okay. who, for reasons they should have to explain, um, decided that this was too much regulation and they forced a halt to this, in this, this the beginnings of a of clear and transparent process in the mining, in the extractive industries. Mm. And it, the reason I'm telling you the story is because what we should have done is we should have got out and we should have closed down uh, petrol stations, gas stations as they're called in the US, mm -hmm. and just closed down um, access to any oil company that was not... Um, on our side here. Yeah. This was common decency. Mm -hmm. This was common sense. Yeah. This was commonly accepted mm -hmm. as the way to deal with what's known in Africa as the, the resource curse. Okay. There's an African proverb these days. There's a new one. It's called pray that we don't discover oil. <laughs> because all the dark forces and all the dodgy yeah. geezers comes with it, yeah. all come to your city, to your capital, to your country. So... And I, I, I failed to do that. I failed to get that um, across the line. Poor storytelling, no. whatever it is. But I think whilst telling stories about things we've achieved no. um, or that I've been a part of achieving, yeah. I also have to share with you a story of, of how you can nearly yeah. achieve something and the not quite mm -hmm. stays with you for the rest of your life. Very, like, I mean, the amount of work, the amount of organisation global organization going towards something like that and then to be to be kind of thwarted at the last minute at the last yeah the last hurdle we didn't have the 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 we we'd ran it we'd ran, we'd ran out of energy <laughs> that's what you say. yeah um and that's and uh and we won't that won't happen to us again but the petroleum institute incredibly powerful incredibly powerful uh, yeah group. but consumers can close them down i mean because remember these are there are oil and gas companies that are in competition with one another. Mm -hmm. So you just need one to say yes. Yeah, true. And it's very hard for the other one to, the other ones to sit it out. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, tell me more about the Poverty of Sexes campaign? What is it about, I suppose, for, for global poverty, about gender equality, about trying to kind of ameliorate the, the, that gap, you know? Um, yeah, well, poverty, extreme poverty hits uh, women and girls first and hardest. And... You know, if you're looking at those global goals and you, I think it's global, it's goal five is, uh, is gender. That's, that is a really, really um, efficient use of your time mm -hmm. to, and I'll tell you why. Just keeping women, girls in secondary school, girls from lower or middle income countries just keeping them in secondary school mm -hmm. would half infant mortality just that so 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 it, it would add trillions of dollars 
to the world's economy because girls who go to school delay getting married, delay having kids, mm -hmm. generally have uh, are, are more entrepreneurial, contribute more to the economy. Mm -hmm. And it's deeply offensive, as my daughters reminded me, you know, uh, constantly. How can we solve the greatest problem problems facing the planet without with only using half the brains on the on the planet. I mean, it's 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 so obvious. You, you know, you hardly need to state it, mm -hmm. but actually, it does need to be stated in certain countries. Actually, I'm going to take that back. It needs to be stated in every country because, again, my uh, my daughter Jordan's an activist, and she will tell me that gender equality doesn't exist anywhere. It's a tricky one. I kind of have a lot of well spirited well-spirited arguments with with friends and friends and family about about just that but i think it's it's hard to we, we, even even here we have a long way to go i mean women women were considered pro property i suppose you know a very very short short space of time again a uh, time ago on on statu on statutes you know yeah women can work the land in some countries in africa but they can't own it yeah uh can't have a bank account so this this will be a really transformative uh effect on the world I'm very excited about it. I, I and it, and it also means that loudmouth Irish rock stars can just walk at the back of the march, and and though of course men are needed, uh, and and men, we will show up. It's sort of nice having you know seeing these figures, inspiring figures: Beyonce Knowles, Malala, Michelle Obama. You know, they, phew, this is incredible women going around. Uh, Scarlett Curtis. I'm really excited about the sort of move over aspect of this um, this new feminism, um, and we all must be feminists. I asked Ali, uh, you know, did I qualify as a feminist? And I asked my kids, and they sort of said, "Well, you're going to have to try a bit harder." I mean, I'm. It's encouraging, though. I mean, you know, you just, you just, you know, keep going. Right. You're on your way, right. Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, but they allowed me. Finally, allowed me um, the accolade. But I know I've, 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 you know, I have to re. We we have to re all have to reboot um, the way we see the world and the way we see women in the world. Mm -hmm. You're managed by a very, very extraordinary woman. I'm very fortunate, I have to say. Yeah, very fortunate. Mm. I, yeah, a lot of very good, a lot of very good women around me. I think, and I think it all raised by raised by a fantastic woman as well too. I have to say, you were your mother. Yeah, very. Yeah, she's an artist, right? She is an artist. Yeah. Again, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the ethos definitely came came. But she's an artist. And um, did you did you go to, or did you have any Quaker influence on you? I did. Yeah, I did. So I was raised. I was it's raised the most extraordinary. I mean, again. It's okay to say we're suspicious of religions. Yes, yeah, but absolutely. of all the faiths out there that would seem to be ahead of and indeed prophetic in their description of the climate crisis, it would be the friends of the earth. Yeah, and I and I there's something I don't know much about um, the Quakers, but I'm, I I have a huge admiration. And when I discovered that you had at least come through there, I thought, oh, that might, this, this is, you know, um, 
because there's something about your music that feels like it's coming from a certain place and I know that can't be, it's not so specific. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I suppose having a strong woman as a, this mother uh, who's an artist, what was, uh, what was it like being a Quaker, if you don't want me to ask? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, to put it simply, what I, what I kind of came away with was, was more, obviously what I remember most about it was the lack of hierarchy. You know, the, the, the kind of, the, the idea that there is no middleman between your, your relationship with the divine and with the infinite is, 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 is yours. It's, it's there um, to, to commune with it. Nobody to mediate it. No one to mediate it, yeah. Um, Doing a lot of priests and clergy out of a job there. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, it was very, uh, very streamlined. It was, you know, <laughs> very, a uh, lot, lot of cutbacks. Uh, Anarchists welcome. Exactly, yeah. Well, Friends. you know, the, the, one of the, my favourite lines of scripture is, uh, you know, the spirit, it's about the spirit. And uh, that, uh, you know, where it comes from, nobody knows. And where it goes, uh, no, mm-hmm. no one can tell. I rather like that. Yeah, it sounds a little anarchic. It's yeah, but I quite like that. I, I think sometimes religions what happen when, when the divine has left the building. Yeah, was it there's that saying of building the temple to find that God has flown, you know. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely for it was always as simple to me, and it was always put as simply to me as as. You, you know, you're finding you're finding the God in, in everything, and you're you're trying to find the divine in, in nature, in, all, in nature, in all things, and in and in people. The spark of the divine, as it was, it was it was kind the of the first incarnation being the ecology, right? Yeah, and so that was kind of instilled in me. But I think you know, I don't know if that if that finds its way into into the work, but it's really just. Um, I, I wouldn't mind asking you about about how you view music as a as a political vehicle, and I, I suppose, I think actually Bruce Springsteen put it this way, about it, music and songs being something that just reminds us of, of our best selves and who we are at, at, at the best of us when we're talking about, let's say, love songs. And I do believe that love is serious business. I don't think it is a, um, I, I don't think it's, it's folly for, for yes, it's, 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 great, it's great stuff for, for pop songs, etc. But finding that, that spark of, of, of humanity and, and, by extension, let's say the divine if, or grace, if we if we if we yeah, want to use a that's term. A great like that. word. Um, it's my favorite word. Songs as being something that captures that and bears witness to that, and music as being something that 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 carries that and is a vehicle for that. Is that something you, you know, I kind of touched on a little bit earlier on, but is that something that kind of grew with grew with your work, or was it was there an ethos from the beginning of? of uh, yeah, I mean. I remember as a late teens coming into punk rock and all that. But I was also, I, I was, you know, and we were in the band, it wasn't just me. And our scene, you know, it was a, a band called the Virgin Prunes. Edge's brother was in. It's a great name. Them. Yeah, yeah. Avant-garde, right in your face. Um, extraordinary, uh, ahead of its time. But we were asking those big questions, daring to ask the big questions, and questions of of yeah, of faith, of religion. Ireland was being torn apart by uh, sectarian violence. My father was Catholic. My mother was a Protestant. My father's family didn't turn up at the wedding. It was difficult to get married. My father and mother were 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 beautifully brave in their romance. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed with never having religion stuffed down my throat. 
Um, my dad was suspicious of nationalism. He used to quote, was it saying, he used to say, what is Ireland? But the the land that keeps my feet from getting wet. <laughs> that was his only thing. Be very careful of those. Doesn't do a good job the, of it either. No, no, no <laughs> that's for sure. That's right. But he was like really suspicious of paramilitaries and all yeah. that stuff. He's like, whoa, watch that nationalism. And, and so it allowed us, I suppose, to ask bigger questions. And, and I remember there was a moment when, uh, when our band nearly ended after our second album, October, we had a crisis of faith uh, in our band and its usefulness. And we looked around us and we just thought this world is completely up its arse and so are we. Uh, it's broken. How, how, can a, how can a rock band play any role in the fixing of it? You know, it's such, in one sense, a, a vainglorious thing to, 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 to go about. And we just had to stop. And we couldn't figure it out. And um, Edge figured it out. And he started writing a song called Sunday Bloody Sunday. And, and he said, we can write about the sectarianism in, this, in, in our country. And then I had this idea of contrasting the absurdity of, you know, sort of Easter rising and all the kind of rah, 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 uh, and, and, and then... Uh, Jesus on the cross mm -hmm. and the stark contrast between people who take lives um, um, to to support what they believe in and people who give their life. Yeah. Um, and so that's, the, I suppose that's the dialectic at the heart of of that song, Sunday Bloody Sunday. And there is that line in there about the, the battle that Jesus, Jesus won. won. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we were kind of, but I mean, it turns out, I mean, I thought we were just weirdos, but we were on Island Records, which you are. Yes. Yeah. And, and Island Records was set up by Chris Blackwell, yeah. who discovered Bob Marley. Yeah. And so when our manager, Paul McGuinness, went and said to Chris Blackwell, look, the lads have gone into, a bit, they've gone into one and they're, they're, they're obsessed with, you know, their faith and trying to find meaning and all the rest of it. He was like, yeah. That's where Bob Marley started. That's where he stayed. He said, that only looks strange if you're a white guy. He said, there's, there's no black musician isn't wrestling with this stuff. Anyone who came out of the church, they're wrestling with it. Marvin Gaye's wrestling with it. Curtis Mayfield's wrestling with it. It's only white suburban boys who aren't. And, and so we thought, oh, right. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not such, we are weirdos, but we're not such weirdos. But we wanted everything out of music. And, and that's why, why I'm sitting with you. That's why I admire you. Because I sense from your music that, you know, you, you want so much out of your music. And it's like that old joke they say about uh, in, in, in the UK about soccer, you know. It's not a, a thing of life and death. It's something much more serious. <laughs> I mean, that's where I'm at with music. And... For me, it's art. It's also fun. I mean, I love pop music. I love dance music. But I want to be under somebody's bed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be under somebody's bed, whispering mm -hmm. what, in their ear, in their ear pods, yeah. going, 
you know, the world is more malleable than you think. You don't have to take, it doesn't, you don't have to accept it as it is. Mm -hmm. You can kick it, you can kiss it, yeah. you can caress it. You know, I want to do that. You can shape it, you can change it. Mm. Certainly, it's something you've managed, you have managed to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on Red, you mentioned Red, I just, that again is the sort of crowd you're not supposed to hang out with. Right. You're an artist. What would you be doing hanging out with a bunch of corporations? Yeah. Yeah. That's what made me interested. Yeah. How can we, if we're really serious about winning the argument in this climate crisis, mm -hmm. going to need to change commerce. Yeah. With Red, we, we had a very simple proposition, sh sharpened the concept with Steve Jobs of all people. And, you know, Apple are our biggest su supporters at Red. But, you know, we've everybody, Bank of America, we've Starbucks, we've Belvedere, Vodka, we've got loads of things. Yeah. And we need, we need the creativity of commerce to win this fight against HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. let, let me tell you why we still need it. Because just at a point of inflection, when we're about to win this battle, greatest health crisis since the bubonic plague, since the Black Death, great, greatest health crisis in 600 years, we're just about to win it. We're at the point of inflection. And now these leaders are saying, America first, fuck yeah. the Africans um, and cut those budgets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there's people around the world following suit. And it's a really, really dangerous moment. If you spend half your life, which I have, fighting for an end to this tiny little virus, that's wreaked so much havoc on so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. And you're just thinking, this could just go up in smoke. We have to win the politics of the day. Yeah. And commerce, we need to, we need their signage. Yeah. You know, when Bank of America, they say, it's a bank, you can't work with banks. I say, they have 17,000 outlets that on World AIDS Day go red and tell people where we're at. I'll take that, thank you very much. <laughs> we could never afford that. Yeah. That's that's a hundred miles of billboards. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, again, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to keep the theme of our conversation mm -hmm. to do things you don't expect. Yeah. Um, make relationships with people you wouldn't normally, if you care about whichever goal it is you care about. Mm -hmm. What out of everything because we, we that we we've talked about. What what would you most what would you most be proud of as an as an achievement? Well, um, in music, you know, it's a I, I sort of I just feel like being talented is like inherited wealth, it, it, you know, or or being born beautiful, or it's no reason to be arrogant. It, it's it is it is a a very humbling thing to wake up in the morning with a melody in your head, you know the feeling, and find words to say something that, that needs to be said, either as a private um, dialogue or as a public one. So I'm proud of you two. I'm proud that four people who are so different have managed to stay together um, f for this long through... Thick and thin, a lot of thick, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and not enough thin, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, um, but I'm really proud, 
uh, of that. This is, and you're asking about my public life because obviously goes without saying, I feel exactly the same about the family mm-hmm. um, and the six of us there. In activism, I, I think trying to make debt cancellation sexy <laughs> is not something I can say we pulled off. Um, but we made it, we made the argument cohere and cancel $90 billion of, of debt and an extra 44 million children, according to the World Bank, went to school because of debt cancellation. So that's a big thing in my life. Um, universal access to antiretroviral therapies to fight AIDS in places where people were told that was impossible. That's, that's the thing I'm most proud of as an activist because of the various parties and the differences um, in personalities that it took to get that across the line. Grace failure, failing to get transparency le- legislation across to keep the extractive industries honest. Um, greatest slogan, wasn't mine, but poverty is sexist. It just is. And, you know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of what the one campaigners do. We have three million members south of the equator in Africa, mm-hmm. as many as there is in Europe, three million in Europe and, and, and in, the, in, the, in the US uh, with three million. We're nearly 10 million members. Mm-hmm. I think if we get in the one campaign, if we, if we get it right, our organization will be Southern based and owned meaning Africa, wherever, India, but, but not, um, not the normal, the, the end of the donor-recipient relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, I'm, not for, I'm not for verticals, you know, one's a horizontal future for activism, flattening of that relationship, the dignifying of, of, uh, of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Can I ask what? Of the achievements of debt cancellation or uh, access to retro... And your ARVs. ARVs. Or, you know, your achievements with you two and, or, or being a family man also, which is the most, which mm. is the most challenging of all of that. Oh, being in you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's easy. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hanging out with George Bush and, you know, um, arm wrestling with uh, uh, President Obama or... Yeah. Um, Head button, uh, whoever. That's easy <laughs> uh, compared to, to sitting in front of um, Edge, Adam and Larry and trying to explain um, um, what, what was going on on the show. Right. Um, and no, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's wonderful. These are, blood, these are my blood brothers. Yeah. These are, it's like family. Nobody can hurt you more than family. Of course, yeah. yeah. And... The other bands I'm in, Red, One, Rise, which is now an attempt to, to, to get commerce to, to go after the uh, SDGs, the Global Goals. And their bands, um, they've had and will have difficulties, but the family, yeah, but no, being in a band is it's tricky. The older you get as well, the sublimation of the male ego <laughs> to other males. I mean... Even for a really humble guy like me, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And what what is in your sights? What is what is the next thing that you're 
very very excited. But I know, as you say, one the achievements of of, of one being being owned and, and ran and nearly entirely the, the, the southern hemisphere. But yeah. we have this <clears throat> beautiful ecstatic album called Songs of Ascent. I don't know if we'll finish it soon or it'll take forever. It's about forever. That's its subject. And uh, uh, Songs of Ascent are they're fifteen psalms. And they're named after the 15 steps from the women's chamber, actually, up to the temple in Jerusalem. So it's, a, it's an old idea. And I'm obsessed with David, uh, King David in the Bible, who turns out was a ripe bollocks. Um, but he was kind of a interesting figure who was brutally honest with God at all times. And even about himself being a bollocks. And... And I, 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 I'd love to do that. I'd also love to do a, like, just straightforward fuck off rock and roll album with this band because on this last tour, they got to a place. That, I mean, they've been there before. I think they've always had greatness in them. Um, but, but we do a lot of very good in between the great. Mm-hmm. I... I, I felt like I just caught up with them on this last tour. And there was moments on the, we had a circular stage, and it was called the E stage, on the Innocence and Experience Tour, the Experience and Innocence Tour. And they just hit some powerful stuff. And I'd love to find songs that could contain that fire. Mm-hmm. Thrilled. I have to say, Hearing you speak, hearing you speak about it with such with such energy and such hunger as well, mm-hmm. too, is 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 inspiring and is a is a welcome kick up the ass to me. Uh, so I have to say, so yeah, thank you. You 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 don't need one, but um, <laughs> but one day. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I couldn't thank you enough. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour sitting down, and thank you for your time and for your for your openness and for your honesty and for your for sharing your your worries and your concerns and your hopes and your and your and your joys as well so thank thank you so so much thank you really glad to be here thank you so much mm, thank you is made in association with Global Citizen, a movement of activists all over the world who are using their collective voice to end extreme poverty by 2030. You can head to globalcitizen.org slash crypower to take action on any of the issues we talk about on this show and earn tickets to gigs all over the world by signing petitions, writing emails, or sending tweets to world leaders. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Crypower podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Hosier, and this is Cry Power.